scripture memory verse tonight, 2 Kings 23.1. Now the king sent them to gather all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem to him. 2 Kings 23.1. Anybody else? 2 Kings 23.1. And the king sent, and they gathered unto him all the elders of Judah and of Jerusalem. 2 Kings 23.1. Good job, Ray. King James Version. Uh -huh. Anybody else? 2 Kings 23.1. Now he sent them to gather all the elders of Jerusalem, of Judah and Jerusalem to himself. 2 Kings 23.1 Good job. Anybody else want to try? You can even read it if you don't want to or haven't got it memorized. 2 Kings 23.1 now the king sent them to the elders uh, to gather all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem to him. Second uh, Kings 23. Good job. Anybody else? A couple people have asked me up with that scripture well personally I feel like any scripture in the Bible is a memory verse by because it's all the Word of God but sometimes it's really difficult to see but if you'll remember with me we are looking at the reforms of Josiah now Josiah was eight years old when he became king and and, and eight is the number of new beginnings Josiah means whom Jehovah heals or founded by Yah and when we look at Josiah and his reforms 22, 23 here we've covered 22 we're going to cover a little bit of it again tonight in way of review and moving forward but what we have to see is the New Testament in the Old Testament the reforms of Josiah reveal what's going on in his heart if you'll remember, he sent the guys to do some, some guys. I'm not going to read it all again. You can read the chapter 22. And when they got there to the priest, and they did what they were sent to do, then Hilkiah says, we have found the book of the law. Do you know how many Christians get saved and they don't find the book of the law? They think that it's just hanging out and warming your hands and going and sitting in a chair on Sunday morning, and they think they're okay because they said a prayer. Listen, but what we're given is a glimpse here into the, the king of Israel. Well, it's the king of Judah, Josiah. What's, it, what's his name again mean? Listen, whom Jehovah heals. See, we're all born sick. And we need to be healed. And God sent his word to heal the land. So we have a picture of personal revival in Josiah's life. 
And then when you've been revived and you're being healed by God, what do you do? You want to influence the people around you. This is what we're called to do to be witnesses. But it just so happens that Josiah is the king. So he can influence the entire nation. He can't make the entire nation get saved. But he can certainly influence what they do. And many times when you look at a leader, that's how the people go. So goes a leader, so goes a nation. So goes a leader, so goes the church. And you've got to understand this, that people will come up to about the bar of what somebody sets, but they'll never go above it. They come up to the bar that the standard that's set. We need to make sure we understand that Jesus is the plumb line. He's our bar. And what we're getting a glimpse in is, is several things here. I believe that it shows us several things as we look at Josiah's life. Eight number of new beginnings. You and I have a new beginning where we become new creations in Christ. And if you become a new creation in Christ, you need to be sanctified and cleansed now. Not just believe that Jesus is Lord, but begin to be washed from the inside out to become what he's already made you positionally in heaven where you're seated with him, Ephesians uh, chapter 1 would tell us. And so Josiah, by the works of his hands and what he begins to do, reveals his personal revival of his heart. He reveals it to you and me. But we also see a nation that potentially could revive if people would grasp what he's doing and what's going on. And then we can see in this same chapter 23, we can see the judgment of the world. Listen to me. You can see the judgment of the world. He doesn't just go, oh, I said a prayer. He begins to move about to get rid of all the stumbling blocks that could be there in his life. Something that none of the other kings ever did. Even his grandpa, Hezekiah, did reforms, but he didn't get rid of the stumbling blocks. We're going to see that. One of the most amazing things, as you read this chapter with me, listen to me, is you go, what? Why were these things still in the temple? Why were these things still in the nation? It's as if they said, because of this leader's now here, cover that statue, that idol up with a, with a blanket, and when that king dies, we'll get it back out again. And see, that's not sanctification. That's not revival. That's not reform. That's not how God burns out the dross in your life. You have to burn bridges. You have to get rid of it and be done with it. And so we see his personal life, but then we see how he affects his entire nation, which you and I can do one person at a time. If you, if you live for Jesus and you let him sanctify and cleanse you and you witness to your neighbor, then you can actually see your neighbor get saved and your city get saved and your state get saved. Or you can go county, then state, then your country. But it starts in your chair. And it started here in Josiah's chair. He just happened to be king. So he could go do a lot of things that you and I can't do. But guess what? Revelation 1 says he's made us kings and priests for him. We're kings and priests. And our gifts make room for us where we can go wherever God wants us to go. But are you willing to go? Are you willing to go for Jesus? But we're going to see that what we have is a type of, a picture of judgment where Christ is coming soon. And he's going to consume everything with fire. He promised he'd never flood the whole earth again. That's what I was telling these people today that, that I preached to. It was, we were at a flood at their house, cleaning carpet, white carpet, had 
iron deposits everywhere. They're like freaking out, like it's not going to come out. I go, ah, it's no big deal. And because and, and, we've cleaned it a million times, so we might have to come back a second time. Um, but I said, God's already promised He ain't going to flood the whole earth again. He just flooded your basement. That's all He flooded. <laughs> and so He's laughing at me. It was fun. Anyway, listen to me. We get to see this in the Old Testament, and it's hidden. You have Josiah's reform. It's his personal reform and how he affects others. But then it's also looking forward to what Jesus is going to do. And today you can let the refining fire of God burn out the dross from your life as you say, Lord, what about this? And Lord, what about this? And as you get in his word, you're going to see that every bit of this, what does he do first? He reads the word of God to him. There, there is no revival without the word of God. Listen to me. You cannot revive to something if you don't know what something is. So you have to have the instruction of the Word of God to know that you're coming alive to follow the one true God. Now think about it. You can go, I'm emotionally charged. My emotions are feeling good. My feelings are feeling good. I'm going to run out and live for Jesus. And you have no idea what he said to do. You have to have the instruction book. You have to have the instruction book. There is no person. There is no people. There is no country. There is no nothing of revival unless you have the Word of God. Because you have to know what it looks like differently than what you were already doing. So when the person gets saved, the first thing he wants to do is what? Read the Word of God. The king read the Word of God. What happened? He tore his clothes. He said, my clothes are filthy rags. I've got to get them off of me, and I've got to be clothed in the Word of God. See, this is real, true revival in a heart that you've revived, and you've come alive, and God has breathed in your lungs again, and now you begin to be further clothed in Christ, and it affects other people. In this case, he's a king. And what did the king do? The same thing that King Jesus has done to you and me. He sent us to gather all of those who would praise Him and would teach peace with us to Him. Not to a church, not to Harvest Chapel. We're gathering people to Him for His glory for such a time as this. Judah means He will be praised or shall be praised. Jerusalem means teaching of peace. See, He sent us to do that. How do we gather people together? How do we bring them into the assembly? That's what it is, is that we teach peace. We teach them of Jesus. And that's why this verse is so important. It's the same thing the New Testament would tell you and me. What happened in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus, after he rose from the grave, said, All power has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples, teach, or baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. This is what Josiah is doing. But you know what? Judgment's already been pronounced. You can see it. We'll read it in a minute. It's in the chapter twice. Judgment on Judah has been pronounced. Judgment on this world has been pronounced. Judgment, I believe, on America has been pronounced already by God. He will not relent. He does not turn back. When you're on his time clock, you're on his time clock. But listen, because Josiah dies at the end of the chapter. 
But you know what? He doesn't see the wrath of God. He doesn't see them carried away into captivity into Syria. He doesn't see the nation go away because of why? Because of 22.16. This is what the Word of God said through the prophet, as we've seen in our last study. Look at 16. Thus says the Lord. Notice who says it. It's the Lord. I was reading the other day, and I go, you know what? This is Jesus, so how come we don't say, thus says Jesus? Because your whole Old Testament would read differently if you realize that when it says Lord, capital L-O-R-D, it's Jesus. Christ often, he's right there, he's talking, he's telling them. He's the Spirit of the Lord. I mean, Jesus is the Spirit. And so I was like, oh my goodness, if you start doing that, it hurts my little brain. But watch, thus says the Lord, and it comes through the prophetess, Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants. All the words of the book which the king of Judah has read. Now, I believe personally, uh, uh, he could have read Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But I believe he just read Deuteronomy. And that's my opinion. It doesn't mean anything. It's like an armpit. I'll throw it out. You throw it out if you don't like it. it, it but we, as we look at it, we say it's all 66 books. It's all of the revealed knowledge that we can get from God. And I was looking up some of the words, and it, it meant uh, two. Uh, uh, one of the words I looked up, I don't know. I have to look at it in a minute. It meant doot, or, or it was two. So to me, it reflected the second giving of the law, which was the book of Deuteronomy which encompasses everything that Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers actually covers, but not creation. So it actually gives everything that is man's all supposed to be done in Deuteronomy. I don't want to confuse you there. I want to make sure that you stay here. But notice, he says he's going to do all of this because, well, if you're reading the book, God tells you what's getting ready to go on. And here's Josiah, who says, what? The book of the law? We haven't kept any of this stuff. We haven't been doing any of this stuff. And think about it. His grandpa brought reforms and didn't bring the book of the law. He didn't have it. It was hidden in the temple. We don't see it mentioned. But when Josiah comes on, and he's eight years old, and we have the number of new beginnings, it has to begin with the word of God. You know, then we have this uh, 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 Revival going on in Asbury, Kentucky, which I don't know if you guys know. They said after this video, we're going to shut it off. We're going to be done. Now, how do you stop a revival if God's reviving people? I'm sorry. I'm not being mean. Anybody that thinks that that's going on is good. But there's no word of God down there. It started with one little sermon. And there's a bunch of worship music and a bunch of feelings and emotions and things of that. And people are coming to the building instead of leaving the building and going out and sharing the gospel in the street. People are talking a lot about things, but they're not talking about the Word of God. And without the Word of God, there's no true revival. Not in your heart, not in a country, not in a nation, not in a people. There's no way to be revived without the Word of God. And our text clearly shows this here in a minute. Notice it started with him reading it. And when he did, he tore his clothes. All he was doing was playing religion prior to reading the Word of God. He said, okay, go fix the house of God and do what... Uh, uh, well, other kings have done. We better fix that stuff up and do this and do that and the other thing. And I got a little plan about what I'm going to do here. It's just religion. But then the word of God. 
and everything changed in Josiah's life. That's why I always encourage people, read through your Bible with us in a year. After you've read through the Bible one time, your life will never, ever, ever, ever be the same again. I guarantee it. It's living and powerful. I know, and I apologize if I'm all over the place. Um, so she said, uh, God pronounces calamity. And why? Verse 17, 22, 17, because they have forsaken me. They've left him. They've walked away from him. In fact, forsaken means uh, 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 departing. Um, it means to forsake, to leave, to refuse. They have forsaken me. Listen, it's not that you stop living according to the Constitution. Listen, it's not that, that we're not obeying the laws and we elected some bad people. Our country is not under judgment. People don't come under judgment because they aren't acting right. It's because they've forgotten God. They walk away from God. They forsake God. The only way to have any morality and any sanity in a nation or with the people or in your life is to allow God and his word to enter your heart once again in your life, to abide in his word. They've forsaken him. And when you forsake God, what do you do? You burn incense to other gods. You begin to worship other gods, false gods. Notice it's a little g. That they might provoke me to anger, great wrath, with all the works of their hands in their own power. Notice that. Hands is always speaking of your own strength, your own power, what you're doing, instead of surrendering to the mighty working of God. Therefore, my wrath shall be aroused against this place and shall not be quenched. But, look, verse 18. But as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, in this manner you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning the words which you have heard. You hear that? He heard, because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But the word here, heard, is this, to hear intelligently. And it often implies of attention to obedience. So you can't just hear God's word and go, ah, that was a good sermon, Pastor. No, there has to be a heart with intention to obey because that's what sanctification is about. You begin to obey what the Word of God says, and part of doing that is confessing when you didn't obey, when you're not obeying. Lord, I, I see what your Word says. Lord, I don't have any capacity to do that. Can you help me? Give me a desire. Give me wisdom in how to obey your Word because I don't know how to do that. My nature loves to sin against you. My sin nature loves to work against you and be religious and do all kinds of other things except for surrender to you. Notice what it says. He heard, heard with the intent to obey. <clears throat> 19. He says this, concerning the words which you heard. Where did he hear them at? He heard them as he read the word of God. And if you will do this, God will do this. 
because your heart, notice where it starts at. Where's your heart today, people? Where's our heart at? What does he say? Oh, it was tender. Your heart was tender. Think about it as like dirt. If you look at the parable of the sower, when you hear the word of God and you heard it, does it go into a tender, soft heart or earth so that it can grow? Or does it fall on a rocky heart, a stone heart? Does it fall on hard ground where it can't get anywhere to, to sink down deep and grow up and produce fruit? Some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. Listen, his heart was tender. This is the reason. This is the thing. God has pronounced judgment. He's going to bring wrath. He's going to destroy Judah, carry him away captive for 70 years. And yet he says, but because your heart was tender, king, when you heard the word of God, look at it, tender, where's it at? Can't find it. Means, it means uh, to make soft or to be tender. And you humbled. Look, you humbled yourself. What does that mean, Greg? Well, it means uh, to bend the knee, to bow the knee. It means uh, uh, to bring yourself down low into subjection of what you heard. Submit yourself to the word of God is what it means. If you submit to God... And then resist the devil, he will flee. If you draw near to God, then he will draw near to you. James tells us, oh, camel needs himself. So his heart was soft and tender. He heard the word of God and he's like, oh, no, we are not obeying God. We haven't been listening. We've lost the word of God. That's the problem in our world today. Perilous times. Second Timothy chapter three. Because we've walked away from the word of God. We've made up our own religion, Paul would tell us. You humbled yourself. This is what Josiah did. Why? Because his name means whom Jehovah heals. He was founded upon Jehovah, upon Jah. He, he, he heard. He, he, he surrendered his heart. It was tender and soft. It received the word of God. He bowed down and put himself into subjection to the word of God. He says, you humbled yourself where? Before the Lord. That's the place to bow. That's the place to bend the knee. The Lord of glory. When you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they would become a desolation and a curse. Then what did he do, Greg? He tore your, you tore your clothes and wept before me. And because, look, when you reap what you sow, if you hear with the intent to obey, now God hears you. you. See what it said right there? When he tore his clothes and wept before the Lord, he says, I also heard you. You reap what you sow. If you'll hear God, he'll hear your prayers. If you humble yourself before God, you reap what you sow. He wants a relationship. He wants to burn out the dross. He wants to sanctify and cleanse you. He wants to bring you across the finish line. He wants to send you out to tell other people. He wants to use you for his glory. But you always reap what you sow. If you close your ears to God, then he closes his ears to you. Listen, he heard the word. He bowed down. He was humble in heart. He tore his clothes and said, My flesh is good for nothing. What I'm wearing stinks. I want to be further clothed in Jesus. 
Oh, he didn't know he was saying that, but he was in heart. Says the Lord, I heard you. I also have heard you. Man, isn't that cool to know that God hears you? Isn't that cool? I mean, think about it. Cool is not even a good word to use. You're praying. Your prayers ain't hitting the ceiling. They're going to the throne room because the Bible says we can come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because of Jesus, the veil was rent from top to bottom. Now we don't have to stay out here and go, I wonder if God's hearing me. No, you can come in boldly to the throne room if you know Jesus. He's the door and he's the key to unlock the door. Verse 20, 2220. Surely, therefore, I will gather you to your fathers. There's your first gathering. Let's see what gather means. Anybody want to see? This is our memory verse that we're doing. It actually, see, I, I, I go, man, I can't get back to 2 Kings. So I'm going to give a memory verse that's in 2 Kings, the same place that we're teaching, so that I can get back there because sometimes the word is just, it just goes and I can't get back to 2 Kings. I want to finish 2 Kings. Uh, so we need to see these where Josiah is bringing these reforms, but we already know judgment is passed, right? Listen, listen, we already know that today, don't we? In our Christian lives, we know that Jesus already took our judgment on the cross, and he's already pronounced that one day he's coming back to judge the quick and the dead, and we're going to be judged by whether we believe Jesus or we rejected Jesus. That's what I shared with some 80-year-old people today. And they were like deers or headlights, deers with headlights in their eyes. But they were they they received it. I'm I'm always amazed when people that are way up in age and elderly, and that's who we're supposed to be. The elders of Judah. We're supposed to be gathering them. That's our memory verse. I, I was laughing because uh, last week on Sunday, what we preached about on chapter 9 uh, was the blind people. And then Joe and Kim, they have, in Florida, they have this box out there for prayers. And these people, they go, there's some people, we've seen these people out there. They haven't even listened to the sermon yet. And they had these people out there, and they go down there to talk to them because the people were out there reading their signs and putting a prayer request in, and she just went blind. The lady just went blind. She's in her 80s. And I go, did you listen to the sermon? He goes, oh, we haven't finished it. We listened about 20 minutes. I go, it's all about blind people and you got blind people showing up on your doorstep to pray for them i go that is amazing that god will bring a blind person to your house on the week we're teaching about blind people i just thought it was amazing so now they have a relationship with them they prayed with them they're talking to them she's not wanting to live anymore because she's went blind and it just makes it harder when you're 83 and they're like no god's not finished with you he wants to use you he wants to use this in the lives of other people so just an amazing stuff that life is thrown at us, guys and gals. But how are you going to react? Are you going to react with the wisdom of God, with the word of God, to be a witness for God, for the glory of God? Or are you going to get mad? Are you going to, are you going to freak out? Are you just going to say, uh, it's all about me? Listen, Josiah is king. He could have done anything he wanted. King over the most powerful nation on the planet. Getting ready to be taken over. God's protecting him. Judgment was coming. It's already been pronounced. But he said, because you were tender, 
Because when you heard the word, you received it, you humbled yourself, you tore your clothes, and you came underneath subjection to what I was saying, I won't let that happen to you. Because my people are not appointed for wrath. But I will gather you to your fathers. Here, this is what I like. The Hebrew word is ASAP. You ever write ASAP? I will gather you as soon as possible. But first you have to finish your course. I'm not taking you home until I'm finished with you. You've got people to witness to, to talk to, things to do. And we're going to see him do all of these great reforms. And I want to get to it here in a minute. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it. But I want you to see that he doesn't just go, oh, I'm going to quit that. I'm going to stop that. He gets serious about it. He cuts them down. He burns them up. He throws them. I mean, he is, he is speaking. The whole nation is watching this king and how he lives. And people are watching you. Oh, I believe in Jesus. I got saved. I heard the word. And they keep living the same way. People are watching that. They'll watch for a moment. Then they go, ah, that's the same stuff as always. That's not real Christianity. But they take notice when your life changes and you bear fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Because you begin to be different because of who God is. Because you humble yourself and you receive the word into your heart. Not perfectly. There's no perfect people. But practically, you're letting him perfect you and sanctify and cleanse you. So he says, I've already pronounced it upon Judah, but surely therefore I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered second time to your sepulcher, to your grave in peace. Listen, you have to believe in God for a Messiah to have peace with God. To go down to the grave in peace, Romans 5.1 tells us that the peace comes through Jesus Christ. There's actually uh, uh, three kinds of peace. There's the peace with God that you have in Jesus. Then there's the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. When you begin to trust God and grow in God, he says, Be anxious or worry for nothing, but in all things through prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, make your request known to God. Here it is, Lord, I don't know what to do. And then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And these two pieces are not what the peace of the world go. In the world, they said, we cannot have peace unless Russia stops bombing Ukraine. And Ukraine cannot stop unless they stop because Russia wants to take them over. See, peace in the world is the absence of war. But listen, you could be standing in the middle of a battlefield, in the middle of the war, and have peace with God and the peace of God, and know that if you die, you're going down to the grave in peace because you're going to be with God for eternity. You don't have to be shaken by this craziness where they're trying to scare us and move us into places so that we'll join their camps and join their battle instead of reconciling souls. So he's going to take him down to his grave in peace. And your eyes, listen, your eyes shall not see all the destruction, the calamity which I will bring on this place. So they brought back word to the king. Here's our memory verse. Listen, they brought this word back to the king. 
I'm bringing this word to you. We're reading this word together. We're hearing this. I believe this speaks of New Testament theology of the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. Although God's pronounced destruction, we're not going to see it because my people are not appointed for wrath. Whom God has healed, whom God has founded, whom God has, has made his child and adopted is not going to go through the destruction of this world. We're going to be taken out of it and go down to our grave in peace or poof. Harpazo is what the Second Thessalonians says. He said and they were worried because so many of their saints were dying and people around them were dying. And Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant or we could be nice. I don't want you to be uninformed. See, the word ignorant is not a bad word. But in our culture, we act like it's a bad word. It means to not have information, to not know. Uh, concerning those who have fallen asleep, euphemism for those who die. For the dead in Christ will rise first, and then, oh, no, 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 I'm sorry. I do not want you to be ignorant concerning those who have fallen asleep. For the trumpet of God will sound, and then the dead in Christ will rise first, and those who are alive and remain shall meet the Lord in the air, and thus will be with uh, each other always. And we should encourage one another with these words. Um, I think I kind of butchered that a little bit. And then he goes on to say in chapter 3, uh, do not let this day take you as you're living in darkness. Because we have the light of the world. Or that word can be translated fire. You see that fire burns out you burns out the dross in your life as you read God's word and you receive that light it burns out the darkness and you begin to see things with his wisdom according to his knowledge for his glory as his children and you stop looking at it the way the world would this is called sanctification so what happens instantly with Josiah once he gets this message from God that he has peace with God He's going to go down to the grave in peace. He knows what God is going to do. What does he do next? This is the point of salvation. What do you do with the knowledge you gained from God and you heard from God? 23.1, our memory verse. Now then the king, see it? Sent them to gather the elders of Judah and Jerusalem to him. King Jesus has sent you and me to gather everybody to him. But here, in reality, this king did it. And what did he do? The king went up, verse 2, the king went up. Where did he go? He went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and with him all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets, and all the people, both small and great, and he read in the hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the house of the Lord. So again, reforms. Again, the word comes to the prophetess. It comes to him because he heard, he humbled himself, he received it. Then there's more growth. What does he do with what he's learned now? He goes out and he says, gather everybody. And then he reads them the word of the book, the, the word of the law. He reads them the words of the covenant. He reads them exactly what he read. And see, that's what I'm telling you. When you go out to people, you have to give them the word of God. Josiah knew this. 
The Word of God is what rent his heart and made him tear his clothes. The Word of God is what brought him to peace with God. And then he said, I want to make sure everybody hears the Word of God. I'm going to go out and be a witness to make sure everybody, it just so happens he's the king, and he was able to call him to that place. You know, I believe wherever I go every day that King Jesus puts me in proximity with people that he wants me to talk to. See, I don't have the authority as a king and say, call everybody here to an audience with me. But I do know King Jesus. I am preparing my heart and saying, send me. And I want to be a witness. So when I go to the gas station and I'm filling up and I go, hey, how you doing today? And they go, well, I know that's an appointment for me to talk to them and tell them the words of the book of the covenant. To tell them that Jesus died for them. And they don't have to be miserable. They can be standing there filling up their car. Going, what am I going to do to tell somebody about Jesus? They can know that they can go to their grave in peace. But he's called me to do it. To gather them by just sharing the simple truth. Then the spirit of God convicts them. And they either choose Jesus. And to choose to obey what they heard. Or they choose to keep doing what they're doing. Totally up to God in that. But notice the king went up to the house of the Lord. You know that Jesus, after he told the disciples to go gather, to go make disciples, what did he do? He spent 40 days with them, Acts chapter 1, teaching them things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And then as they watched, he ascended into the air and he went up in the clouds and he sat down at the right hand of the Father at the house of the Lord, God's house. And he's sitting there right now making intercession for you and me. And he sent the Spirit back so you and I can go out and gather souls. What was it? It was 2 Corinthians 5.20. Anybody remember it? Now then. We are ambassadors for Christ. As if God were pleading to us, I implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled for God. For he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We're ambassadors. We're sent. We're representing the one who's setting up there. And we're actually seated up there in heavenly places with him. And his spirit now lives through us and is going out and doing the work for us. If we will surrender and let him burn out all of our flesh and just allow the spirit of God to take us to where we need to go. But notice what he did. If this king read the word of God, should we not read the word of God? Listen, I know it's hard sometimes to read the word of God. You can start reading it and fall asleep. But we need to get a steady diet of the bread of life, the word of God. We need to begin to get that steady diet. Are you reading the word of God? This king found it so important that his people heard the word of God. How important? He came to earth and took flesh. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The living word of God come to earth. And he gave us an example. And he wants us to have a relationship with him. And he wants us to read this book and spend time with him in the pages and understand that he's speaking life to us. The king 
read the book. Are you reading it? Have you found it? Then verse 3. Then the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk, King James, to follow with all of his heart, all of his soul, and to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. To obey them. To go out and do them. To, to, to ask God for help to, to practice what it says. To live it out and to be a living witness of everything that was written in this book. There's some really long lines. Like verse 3 is a long four lines. And all the people took a stand for the covenant. See, he read it. He told him about it. He read it to him. He took a stand. He stood by the pillar. And then all the people said, we'll take a stand with you. And that's what your position is, according to Ephesians 6, is to stand. It means to abide and continue and remain and stand in the truth. And then other people have a choice when they see your light to, to also stand in the covenant also. Here's the interesting thing. He stood by a pillar. If you was to look at 2 Kings eleven fourteen, just back up um, 12 chapters. Let me just read. This was the custom of the kings. When the kings wanted to say something, 11.14, leg cramping up bad. Ooh, I hate that. Ow! I am sorry. The custom of the kings. When she looked there, there was the king standing by a pillar according to custom. And the leaders and the trumpeters were by the king and all the people of the land rejoicing and blowing trumpets. And this is when Athaliah tried to, she was trying to be king. She was a queen. And she didn't know that Joash was hidden in the inner temple. Okay, now what's the pillars though? Let's look back at 1 Kings 7. Remember, Solomon put these in. The wisest king that ever lived. First King 7, if you was with us. First King 7, verse 21. I'm trying to get there, guys. 721. Two pillars. Then he set up the pillars by the vestibule that's the entryway of the temple he set up the pillar on the right and called its name Jason and he set up the pillar on the left and called its name Boaz now listen Jason means he will establish he will establish remember what's Josiah's name mean I got it whom Jehovah heals or founded of Yah. And this pillar that he's standing by means he will establish or God will establish. And the second one is Boaz. It means fleetness or quickly. He will establish. But who is Boaz? Remember Boaz? <clears throat> he married Ruth in the book of Ruth. And he's the first picture we really see of a kinsman redeemer. These are the pillars of the faith. God will establish it, and he is the kinsman redeemer. And these are the pillars that he is standing by as he reads the book of the law. 
God will establish a Messiah. And Jesus became our kinsman redeemer. If you guys remember Boaz, Boaz bought Ruth back from the curse. He was a near relative of Naomi, who changed her name to Mara or bitter, Moriah, which is Mary, which means their rebellion in the New Testament when you get to it. Sorry, too much information. But Jesus, listen, I told this to some people today and they were like, Jesus is our kinsman redeemer, according to the law of kinsman redeemer. But he could not redeem us unless he became near of kin. How did he become near of kin? God became flesh. Now he becomes our kinsman. Now he has, has, has the ability, but until he lives a perfect life, he doesn't have the power to buy us back. Then he purchases after a perfect life with his blood, which is the power to buy us back. And that's how he redeems us. We're purchased by the precious blood of Jesus. And it's perfect. God received it, took the full wrath of everything that he was going to do. And if you believe that in your heart and confess it with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, you can go down to your grave in peace. You don't have to worry about dying because death has no victory and has no sting anymore because of our kinsman redeemer. Here is Josiah standing by the pillar that's called Boaz which speaks of our Redeemer. And he's given the Word of God, which is where we find these things out. If you want to hear from God, sit down in his Word and begin to ask him, what does this mean? What's going on? How should I live? Why am I here? What did you call me for? And then go out and stand, just like this said. The king stood, and the people said, we want to stand with the king. And they stood there with him and agreed to the covenant. Verse 4, and the king commanded Hilkiah. Hilkiah means my portion is Jehovah. My portion is Yah. And the king commanded Hilkiah, the high priest. He calls him high priest again. Remember that was at the first and the last. We're calling him high priest again. They just called him priest in the middle. And the priest of the second order. Well, who's that? Near as I can figure. If you have a high priest, then the, all the Levites are the second order. They're underneath the high priest. You and I are believer priests. We would be the priest of the second order because of Jesus. And we would be believer priests. What's that mean, Greg? It means we're priests because we believe that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead. We're trusting him to establish us and do it quickly. Sorry, there's so much in this text, guys. So, and the second order, and the doorkeepers, that was interesting, the doorkeepers, keepers of the door, is uh, King James. And interesting, Jesus is the door, he's the gate, and there's people that keep it, and it means those that guard the gate, guard the door. He's telling all of them. To bring out of the temple of the Lord the articles that were made for Baal, for Asherah, and for all the host of heaven. And he burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of Kedron and carried their ashes to Bethel. Now listen to me. This is powerful stuff. Because, one, it speaks of your and I's personal sanctification because Josiah is personally sanctifying the kingdom. He's getting rid of those things that are evil, that are idols, that are continuing. And here's what I'm saying is, why are they there? 
you're serving God. Why would the idol of Baal be in the temple? Why would you have to tell somebody to bring it out? But all of us have things in our temple. See, do you not know that you're the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? And if you defile the temple of God, God will destroy you. Which temple you are. You are his temple. And so now we see this, and we see that we're supposed to be allowing God, as we surrender to his word, to clean out our temple. But you can't just say, oh, I quit that. I'm going to start doing this. You have to get rid of the root, or it'll keep growing fruit. And fruit of uncleanness. Fruit of sin. You have to die and be crucified with Christ. That's the root, is our self. Our sin nature is the root. And so as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. And we're all working this out. We're working out our salvation with fear and trembling. Nobody's perfect at it, but this is what we're called to do, and you have to burn it. You have to get rid of it. Now, I remember when we got saved, and there were so many things that need to be burnt in our life. We got saved, and then we had all of this secular music, and we needed money to pay our bills. And I would say, burn your CDs. Burn your secular books. Burn everything that, you're, that, that, that the world would counsel you with. You don't keep it in your house. Go burn it. But what we did, you know what we did? We took our CDs. We had a whole big CD collection, didn't we? We took them to the music store and sold them. And we paid our water bill. Because we needed the money. Because there's millions of copies of it out there. Because I said it and prayed over it and prayed over it. And I said, well, I need money and these are worth money. But I got rid of them. You burn the bridges. You get them out of your house. You don't put them in the back room and go, in case I want to listen to these later, because you'll listen to them later, and they're evil. See, and that's what they've done as a nation. They keep saying they're reforming. They had the Hezekiah's reform, and they're throwing a blanket over it. And they're going, don't be looking at that anymore. Just stay over here worshiping God. Hey, what's underneath the blanket? And you look underneath the blanket, and there's your girly books. You look underneath the blanket, and there's all your evil stuff that you shouldn't be looking at. You shouldn't be dealing with, you shouldn't be following, but you still got it in the temple. It's still in your heart. Only God can take it out of our heart. Only God can clean up the temple. Only as we surrender to the word of God. And that's the rest of your life. That's the rest of your life. And he's capable. He will burn it out. But notice this also speaks of judgment, the final judgment. He comes and he burns this stuff up with fire. And he purifies it. He's going to rule with an iron fist in the millennial kingdom. And I believe that iron fist doesn't mean that he's mean, because he's not mean. I believe, means, I believe it means full power, full authority, full control, completely. Now, I do know that when something happens and it's wrong, it's dealt with instantly in the millennial kingdom. Scripture tells us that. So, but look at this. He's actually doing and getting right with what he read in the word of God and he's going and cleansing the temple. The same way Jesus comes and he says, zeal for my father's house has eaten me up. And he makes a whip and he goes in and he turns over the tables. And he's like, get this stuff out of here. My father said this should be a house of prayer and you've made it a den of thieves. And so we're supposed to be saying, Lord, this is in my heart. That's what the spirit does. He convicts you and you go, wow, it is there. As soon as you agree... That means you've heard the word, right? You were tender and soft. You humbled yourself, and you said, Lord, help me. Tore my clothes. And then he begins to work it out of your heart. Now, see, if he just goes, boom, and it's gone, we'll run right back to it. So it's a slow process. Positionally, you're there. Practically, 
He wants us to be involved in the sanctification process where he's creating in us a desire to be with him, a desire to love him as he first loved us, a desire to be like him. Because he could have created robots. He could have created angels. He could have done anything he wanted, but he wanted a people that would choose freely to live with him and love him because he first loved us and worship him and serve him because of who he is. And he's sharing his love and his majesty and his kingdom and his inheritance with us. And he chose us and adopted us by the spirit by which we cry, Abba, Father. That's so amazing to me. Blows me away. Can't even get through any more of these scriptures. That he would choose me, a wretch like me. And he already knew what was in our heart. And guess what? He's not disappointed. He knew what he was going to do five years later, ten years later, two days later, two months later. He already knew it. And he's saying, this is not to kill you. This is to show you what's in your heart so you'll surrender to me. You'll humble yourself. You'll tear your clothes. And you'll say, not by my strength, but by your power, your might, by your spirit, saith the Lord. So here's Josiah doing this in real time. He's cleansing the temple in real time. But it looks forward and prefigures you and I as a people allowing God to sanctify and cleanse us as a temple. And then it looks even further forward to the judgment day and God pours out his wrath. But we've already went down to the grave in peace or been raptured out. And we're not appointed for that wrath. But it really tells us as friends what he's doing, what he's going to do. And he's already sent us to gather his people, to tell them. And how do we know if they, if they come? It's his children. If they come and listen to the word of God, if they come, then they're his. We don't have to go out and beat anybody, wrangle anybody, make anybody. We just send the message out as, as those that are, uh, uh, how beautiful are the feet that preach the gospel of peace or herald good news. That's all we're supposed to be doing, according to Romans 10. So what does he do? He goes in. He has them bring out these articles. Baal, Baal means Lord, Master, Husband. False God. Beelzebub is the Lord of the flies, the Lord of the dunghill. It's the devil. His bride or his female counterpart is Asherah. That's a female goddess. I think that uh, maybe she's called. Oh, it's the female counterpart. Grove is the word in the King James. It's a grove. Isn't that interesting? We looked at that before. Is it Venus? I think it's Venus, maybe. The, the, the uh, goddess of love. But I don't remember. So we got to keep moving and get this finished. I don't know why he tried to chew off this much of it. So how is your sanctification going? How are you dealing with it? Are you hearing the word of God? And are you asking God to soften my heart, tender my heart, help me to be humble, help me to surrender to what you're doing? Are you tearing your clothes and saying there's nothing good that dwells in the flesh? Have you said, Lord, I want to follow with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength with all that I am? So they got all these articles. I don't know why they're in there. Well, they're in there because of the bad kings. They're in there because of the false leaders of the nation. 
They're in there because the devil puts them out there and our sin nature picks them up. So they can be in our heart also. Even years later, you go, wow. And I always say that if God showed us his beauty, we'd die. Nobody can see God and live. But if he showed us our ugliness all at once, we'd stop. We'd just go, it's no use, I'm done. So he shows us just a little bit at a time. And then he burns that out. And then a little bit more, and he burns that out. And we're seeing it in real time here with the real temple. As he leans on the pillar, he reads the book, and then he starts to give commands of where to go and what to do. And he burns them. And that's the way to get rid of them is burn them up with fire. Let the word of God, because God's a consuming fire, burn them out of your life. Lord, give us grace to go on. Lord, burn these things out of our heart and out of our life. Give us a desire to go and serve you and tell others. And then look what he did. He burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of Kadron. And Kadron means dark or dusty place. Remember that? Kadron, we're going to see in a minute, the brook Kadron. It's flowing water in the dark and dusty place. Remember, this is where Jesus went. And the night that he was betrayed, he leaves the upper room and he goes down through lower Jerusalem and he goes across the brook Kadron and into the garden called Gethsemane where Judas meets him with a detachment of troops and he'd already told them and planned it. It's the one that I kiss. See, because there was no comeliness. There was nothing about Jesus that the soldiers even knew who he was. He blended in. He looked just like everybody else. But it was the word that he spoke that pierced hearts. I mean, see, if he had a glow like most of the Catholic pictures, if he had a, a big halo above his head, he'd say, get the one that's glowing. He wouldn't have said, I have to kiss him. He betrayed him with a kiss so that they would know who Jesus was. Think about it. This man was in the temples preaching every day. And it's only those who hear his word know who he is. But they weren't hearing his word. They were there to kill him. Death culture. So Judas had to walk right up, 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave, and kiss him. My own familiar friend that I have ate bread with betrays me. That's what the scriptures say. And he betrays him with a kiss. And many people will kiss the gates of heaven and never go there. We will kiss by going to church but never surrender there. And allow him to burn out the dross. And then what did he do, Greg? He carried their ashes to Bethel. Remember Bethel? Formerly it was called Luz. This is the first place that Jacob fell asleep at with his head on, the, uh, on a rock. Bethel means house of God. But what God? Because Bethel is the place that Jeroboam put a golden calf. And the people have been worshiping this golden calf at Bethel and Samaria for years in the northern kingdom. So what did he do? He took it to a place that people thought was clean and he poured these unclean ashes out on it. These dead things out on it to make it unclean so people would see clearly that is unclean. Bethel is unclean. It's not a real house of God. It's an evil place. And that's the same thing as you and I giving testimony of things that are wrong but people think that they're clean. They're unclean. It was an unclean uh, site for worship with a golden calf. And now it's perfectly clear to everybody that it's an unclean place. What? It sowed uncleanness and it reaped uncleanness. He pours out the ashes upon it of death at Bethel. 
Verse 5. Then he removed the idolatrous priest whom the kings of Judah had ordained to burn incense on the high places in the cities of Judah and the places all around Jerusalem and those who burn incense to Baal, the sun, to the moon, to the constellations, and to the whole host of heaven. Look at this. Kings, people, leaders, Josiah king, tearing his clothes. He's sending people out. He's gathering God's people. But there's other kings. And what are they doing? They're ordaining false prophets, false teachers. And this is what Jesus is going to do when he comes as a judge. He's going to get rid of the false priests. What did he do in Egypt with the tenth and final plague? He got rid of every one of the false priests because the priests were the firstborn. A thousand temple, three thousand priests. And what happened with the Passover festival? The firstborn of everything was killed except for God's people who had blood over their doors. The Passover angel passed over them but killed all the firstborn, all the priests. That's one of the things God will do with the breath of his mouth. He's going to kill the firstborn. He's going to kill all of these false priests. What happens to them? These kings, they say that they're praising God of Judah. They ordain them. They anoint them to burn incense in high places. And they keep these places. A high place is a place of elevation. You know, like elevation music. It's a place of elevation, like hill song. You know, these are places we've been through this before. It's things that you lift up higher than God. Jerusalem wasn't the highest place in the world. But you always went up to Jerusalem because it was the place of the king. It was the house of God. So it was always the highest thing. But what they do, they build these poles, these Asherah poles, which are like phallic symbols. And they put them up. We see them in Washington, D.C. We see them everywhere. And they put them up and they would look up to them and the works of their hands and worship false gods. And these should have been torn down and they should be torn down in our lives because our hearts still have high places. Yeah, I'm serving God and I'm doing good and I'm witnessing, but there's a high place over here where I really put my spouse before God. I'm putting this relationship with somebody else before God. Be careful. High places will kill you. You have to tear them down. You have to surrender them and lay them on the altar. Let God burn them up. And if he gives them back to you, keep them. Use them for his glory. But if not, let them be burned up and gone and not bear any more root of sin in them. Notice they worship the, all the constellations. People still do it. They read their horoscope every day. They worship all the hosts of heaven. Prognosticators, liars, cheaters, sorcerers, magicians. The host of heaven. Do you know that there's three heavens? You see the, 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 we see the, the expanse around us. And then you go up a little higher and you have the constellation, the moon and the stars. And then you have the third heaven is where God's throne room is at. Three heavens. They're serving the host of heavens. God warned them in the book of Deuteronomy that that's what they would do. They would turn and worship the same things the people in the land that he was displacing worship. They would become like the world. They would want a king. God already warned them all this would happen. We're not going to go back and read it, but they just read it. And they knew that God was cursing them because of it. And that judgment was on them because of it. Every nation that forsakes God judgment comes upon them. They reap what they sow. And thus our nation is under judgment. Just, just It's not the final judgment yet. 
But it's just a general judgment that if you sow immorality, if you sow lies, if you sow deception, if you sow war, if you sow these things, you're going to reap them because it always grows. People used to send missionaries over here just to see the pulpits of America. Now they send missionaries over here to start pulpits in America because we've walked away from the Word of God. This country founded by the testimonies of God. When John Robinson planned to bring people here at first, it was to get away from the tyranny of making you worship the way that they said to worship. He never made it over here, but he sent three boats over here. He sent pilgrims over here. And boy, the stories they tell about them. And there are some displaced and some Christians that do some dumb stuff. But it doesn't change who God is and how he's to be worshipped in spirit and truth. It doesn't change that. Just because his people do dumb stuff doesn't mean God's dumb. No wisdom or counsel against him. How are you going with your sanctification? God's already told us what's coming. God's told us what we're supposed to be doing. What he desires is your sanctification. His will is your sanctification. Salvation doesn't stop with a prayer. He says, I will your sanctification. I would go there if we had time. It's in Peter. Look it up. Sorry. I should have that scripture for you. So he got rid of the idolatrous priests. Priests that were not representing properly. Priests that false kings had ordained. There's only one king, King Jesus. And they were worshiping everything except for God. They had forsaken God. Verse 6, number of man. And he brought out the wooden image from the house of the Lord to the brook Kedron outside Jerusalem and burned it at the brook Kedron and ground it into ashes, pulverized it, and threw the ashes on the grave of the common people. Don't lose that. That's a bad translation. Let me see it. And through the ashes, King James, on the children of the people. Not the common people. That sounds really weird. On the children of the people. What? There's a graveyard there with children in it? Yes, because they sacrificed their children to Molech. Not abortion like we do but full birth they are alive and then they put them in the hot arms of Molech and they burn them up and they sacrifice them and they and, and the demons get to hear them screaming and yelling and dying Molech is said was a, not just a god of uncleanness but a god of unusual uncleanness and cruelty but then when you look at the other false gods they were not just unclean, but they were unclean with sexual immorality, and they were like fertility gods, and they wanted you to do sexual orgies. We're going to see that in a minute in order to please them. So there was a difference in what they were worshiping. We're seeing it here in certain words, but it's the same thing going on today in the world and in America, and we're paying for it to kill babies. We're paying for it when we kill our kids by giving them over to somebody else instead of training them in the way that they're supposed to go. We're paying for it ourselves when we, when we, the, the biggest industry in America is pornography in the nation. And we hide it. And we act like it's no big deal. 
So what happened is, is he pulled this stuff out, he burned it. The wooden image was again, um, the poles, the wooden image, they gotta find it. It's a wooden image of Asherah. Some would say it's like kind of like a totem pole, but really it's a phallic symbol that was representing the female goddess, Venus. And, and, and then he pulls it out, he burns it, and he throws it on the children of the people. Why? Because once again, that was very unclean to kill these children and bury them early. And so then he put ashes in that area to make sure people knew it was unclean. You don't worship at the at, at Molech. This, this is evil stuff. God's going to burn all this up one day, people. He's going to burn it all up. The only thing that's going to last is those who go down in peace because they surrendered, they humbled themselves, they were tender, they tore their clothes, they said, that is me, I'm the man. When all the prophets prayed for the country, they, they would say, forgive us. They didn't say forgive them. We're included in it if we're not trying to help it and preach about it and tell the truth of it. We're included with it. Yeah, and I don't know if you guys know, but a lot of the prophets, they preached and preached and nobody ever listened. Jeremiah preached 40 years, never one convert. In fact, he couldn't even convert himself. He was like, I'm leaving, I'm done, I quit. And God said, Jeremiah, that's the reason I called you is because they're hard-headed and stiff-necked and they won't listen. That's the reason I called you to proclaim truth. You don't quit because they won't listen. I called you because they won't listen. So we keep witnessing no matter what and let God settle the rest of it because somebody could have left us out there. But we're being silenced in the church. So six... The common people. Six, the children of the people who are buried. We can't get through 25 verses. Verse 7. Then he tore down. Notice you can see that there's some really serious stuff going on. He tore down, he broke down, he burnt up. There's some serious stuff. He's not just covering up. He's not just pretending. He's getting rid of. He's getting rid of the root. I remember a guy that, what was the guy that came over to our house and he, and he kept struggling with his, with his uh, 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 crazy game cards and his Pokemon cards. And he kept telling me that. I said, bring him to Bible study tonight. I know who it was. I'm not going to say his name. And I said, you got to burn them up. We literally took them in the backyard around the fire pit on Columbia Street, and we put them down. And I said, burn them up. you got to burn them up. Let's watch them burn. Because that's what happened in, uh, where was it on this missionary journey? where They, they brought their parchments out and burned them, the, the warlocks and the witches. Where was that at? Uh, I can't think of it right now. Sorry. you got to burn it down. you got to burn the roots up. You can't let them stay. You ever deal with them mulberry trees where you think, I'll just cut that off and it'll be okay? And next year it's a bigger tree? Oh, I'll just cut that off right at the ground. It'll be fine. And the next year it's a bigger tree and a bigger tree. And it's wrapping around your gas pole. And you're going, whoa, this is going to blow everything up. you got to dig down deep and let God go down with his consuming fire and burn it out and get rid of the root because it's the root that brings the fruit. Whether it's clean or unclean, it's the root that brings the fruit. 
Are we grounded foundationally in the Word of God? Because that's the only way there's going to be personal revival, personal sanctification. And God has already told us this. We're almost done. Then he tore down the ritual booths. And it's really King James, it just says houses. It's houses. It says booths here of the perverted persons. It really says sodomites that were in the house of the Lord. They're in the house of the Lord. Are you guys getting this? That's what's freaking me out. Hezekiah just did reforms not too long ago. And all of this stuff that we're looking at, the false priests burning incense, the, the, the poles to Asherah, the poles to Baal, the, the perverted persons, they're all up in, the Sodomites are all up in the temple. And this is talking about uh, those who are prostitutes, male prostitutes. And they're living in the temple. Does it remind you of anything today? Where we're saying, uh, like Andy Stanley said, that gay people have more faith than the church does because they're still coming to church, but they haven't repented. See, I don't care if the gay person comes to church if he repents. If he stops with what he's doing, if he repents, God will forgive him. But if you let them come to church like all the denominations are and they haven't repented, you put the perverted people back into the body of Christ and act like it's normal. But you have no reforms. You have no personal revival. You're not even letting people see that God can change you. When you go over to 1 Corinthians and Paul says, And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were cleansed. You were sanctified. You're being changed. That's what God wants to do. He wants to burn it out. Look at this. He tore these down because they need to come out of the temple that were in the house of the Lord where the women wove hangings for the wooden image. That's again, the, 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 I've got written next to mine, porno. See, every word for sexual immorality, which is any type of sex outside of the marriage bed, any type of sexual activity outside the marriage bed is pornea. Sexual immorality. It's called different things. But look, I got you reading. You know why I said that? Because they're they're weaving. They didn't have cameras. They're weaving sexual acts in their weaving and hanging them up in the temple where this is going on at. I believe this is actual pictures of sexual acts. And if you look at any of the pottery or any of the, the, the reliefs or any of the old stuff that was going on in these days, you can see all the sexual acts on the pictures. It's craziness. Now, I can't prove that to you, but why are they weaving it unless they're making something that looks like what's going on? Why would they be making hangings? To, they're advertising. And he brought all the priests from the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had burned incense from Gibba to Beersheba. That's poetic about the whole, the whole, the whole area. Gibba to Beersheba. That's north to south. It's every place. It's poetic in that sense. Sorry, once we get going, and I've got them prepared. I hate to stop. Gibba means heal or hillock. It's Gibeah. And Beersheba means, remember that? Where Beersheba, they dug the well, well of seven oats, or well of an oat. This is where they're making these oats. He, he, he um, defiled these places by taking the unclean stuff and putting it on there. He burned, the priest had burned incense in Beersheba, and he broke down the high places at the gates, which were at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, that's Yeshua, 
That means the Lord is salvation. At the gate, he broke down those high places. He tore them down. What high places are keeping you from the door of salvation? And it says, who was the governor of the city? And governor actually means, um, King James, it says, which were on a man's left hand at the gates. See, this says governor, but in the King James it reads, which were which were on a man's left hand at the gates. Which is interesting. Isn't it? I don't know what it means. Uh, search it out. Figure it out. Right hand is the hand of power. Left hand, probably the hand of flesh. It's pretty interesting, though. But see, there's a lot of high places. There's a lot of things that are keeping us from getting in the gate, in the door. What's in your heart? What's the high places? What's in your life that's keeping you from... Josiah, or excuse me, Joshua, Yeshua. Which were to the left of the city gate. Much different rendering in the King James. You might check that later. Nine, nevertheless, notice in verse eight we had the Lord's salvation. Nevertheless, the priest of the high places did not come up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem but they ate unleavened bread among their brethren. And he defiled Tophet, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no man might make his son or daughter pass through the fire of Molech. Again, Molech is this evil, cruel God where they're killing their sons and daughters after they're born. Think about it. Our culture today, and some of them act like, oh, this is terrible. But they're not doing anything about it. We have people that are running for leadership and presidents of our country that say you can kill a baby up to nine months of birth. You can kill them after they're born. If, they, if you try to kill them and they're born alive, you can still kill them. Same type of stuff. Demons love to hear this screaming of life. And God's a God of life. And listen, there's forgiveness if we've had abortion. There is forgiveness in Christ for every sin. The only sin that's not forgiven is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And that's never receiving the witness of the Spirit and turning. Coming to your senses. So this is Tophet. And somebody said that it was actually Toph. And it meant drums. And they would beat drums so they couldn't hear the screams of their children. That they were sacrificing to the fertility god of Molech in them. And it reminded me of when Germany had the death trains and they were killing them and the churches would play music louder and sing louder as the trains went by and they could hear the people yelling. Instead of saying something and doing something and dying for our faith, where are the people that will die for their faith that knows that death has no victory and death has no sting and we're going to speak up no matter what? It doesn't exist in the church anymore. And yet Paul said, and this is an example, what do you do weeping and crying? I'm not ready to just go to prison, but to die for my faith. Where's that at in the church today? So this is, I looked it up. It doesn't have anything to do with drums as far as I know, unless it comes from a word um, it means place of fire. 
and that's where they burned their children to Molech. In the valley of Hinnon, which means a gorge or a narrow walk of lamentation because they're there crying over their children that they were killing, but they thought it was the best thing to do for the nation. They thought it was the best thing to do for their crops, for their money. How many people go and they say, no, I got to get rid of this child because I still got to go to college. I got to get rid of this child because I got to finish school. I got to deal with my career first and this kid will ruin my life. God gave you a child. Don't believe the lie. God is blessing your life. The fruit of the womb is a blessing from God. But he will curse you if you kill it. And yet we make it normal in this nation. Normal. If you look up right now as we go into an election cycle, that's the number one mantra that they're saying. I believe women's rights, they should have a right to kill their babies. Men need to speak up. Good men of God need to speak up. It's not good to kill anything. Unless, of course, you're going to kill it to eat it. And God will curse you. You kill your babies, you'll reap killing your babies. Go read the Old Testament. They killed their babies, and they were fighting over who gets to eat them. I'm just telling you. When, you, when we walk away and forsake God, he lets us reap what we sow. And they're reaping this. They've left this stuff in the temple. They're not cleaning it up. And Josiah comes in, who is a type of Christ, and he said, let's get this stuff out. Let's burn it up. Let's tear it down. And that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our heart today, people. He wants to get it out. He wants to burn it up with his consuming fire. Because if it's not consumed today in your walk with God, it's going to be burnt up when we reach heaven. And we can actually enter in, you know, Paul says you enter in and you'll get in smelling like smoke. You won't have any rewards. You won't have anything. But God has so much more for us. He wants us to go out and be a light to others. We'll stop there. We'll pick up in verse 11 next week, God willing. Should I give you another verse in this text? I actually thought about giving you another verse in this text, which the epitaph of these, the epitaph of the northern tribes and now come down to the southern tribes is, is 2332, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his fathers had done. That's your memory verse for next week. It's twice in the chapter. It's in verse 32 and it's in verse 37. And because they did not listen to God and they married into the northern tribes, now it's become the epitaph of the southern tribe or Judah. It's uh, 2332. And it's given the testimony of the kings. 2 Kings 32. 2 Kings 23, 32. Oh, 23. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his fathers had done. Now tie that, guys, with chapter 8 where we just seen they're trying to say that they know God and he says no. Jesus says to them in about verse 36 or so there, he says, I speak what I see my father doing and you do what you see your father doing. 
Your father is the devil. And this is what becomes, if you, there's only two roads, there's only two paths, there's only two ways. And I would encourage you, burn up the things of this world. And if you think that music and books and literature and all this stuff that's on the TVs, uh, you know, it's all evil. And it's all preaching something to you. And if it's not preaching this inerrant word of God, it's preaching the devil's works to you. And it's wanting you to enter into religion and keep this stuff in the temple and yet think you're okay with God. And we need to be sanctified. And only the word of God will burn out the dross. You know, and, and you know what they do when you don't burn out the dross? It becomes what we call puke metal or metal that you cast away. And it's not good to make anything out of it because it has no tinsel strength. It has nothing in it that's worth making anything. So that's why God wants to purify us with fire. And you know, when you when you you have gold, we come when we're tested by the fire, we come forth as gold, and and as it sets up the heat, those impurities rise to the top, and then they scrape them off, and then it becomes pure gold. And that's what we're looking for. As we get to heaven, we're going to look just like Christ. And gold speaks of Christ or deity. Silver is redemption. Bronze is judgment. There's a whole, all of these things mean something. They're not just there. They actually are hiding the true gospel. Blue is heavenly. Red is the blood. Blue and red together. If you bring the blood from heaven places, you get royalty, which is purple. Men like to wear purple, and it means nothing if you don't have Christ in your heart and become a king and a priest who wants to go out and witness and see souls saved because we are ambassadors for Christ as if Christ was pleading through us I implore you on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God and you can only be reconciled by the word of truth Father thank you for your word Lord wake us up give us a desire excite us about your word like Josiah was He's, he's doing the reforms, and he just glances around, and he says, deal with that, deal with that. What next, Lord? What are you showing me in my life, not in other people's life? Lord, help us to pray for other people's lives when we see it in their life, and help us to be an example of how to clean up our life with the power of your spirit through your word for your glory as you wash and cleanse us. And then you're going to present us to yourself a spotless and clean bride without wrinkle or any such thing. What a mystery this is, Lord. But thank you for telling us of how it works. We surrender today. Pour out your spirit. Save souls. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. The Lord bless you. Amen.